0: Welcome to another Prepared Dancer podcast. My name is Sean Walker, and I'm joined by Scott Steen. How are you, Scott? Hello, Sean. Good to see you. Yes, we are on <laughs> camera. We have left the blanket fort. We are in separate locations, yet still in the same town. And so if you're listening to us on podcast, on Spotify, on our website on itunes we'd encourage you if you want to actually see us i don't know if you do but if you do i'd encourage you to go to youtube slash prepared to answer and you will find our podcast on this
1: this is a huge
0: risk that
1: the people who have been tuning into our podcast right letting them actually see us in person that's a risk I hope, uh, I it hope it's is. not a disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> they may be going back to the
0: podcast. Yes. Oh, no, back
1: to audio only, please. <laughs> exactly.
0: Anyway, we'll do our best. Uh, yes. Yeah. And uh, and for those that do stick with us on video, you might see changes as, uh, as we go and refine. Uh, yeah. As we started a podcast, uh, we also refined as we went uh, to try to... Uh, make it more,
1: I don't know if enjoyable is the right word, but palatable. Well, so. as with anything, uh, you improve with practice. So exactly, this is the yeah. first kick at video, and we just hope it'll get better from here. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yep. So
1: I'm excited, Scott. We're
0: starting a new series. Uh, we have finished the Deconstruction series, and for those that might not have listened to it, we would encourage you to go back. Again, you can find it on org, or, as we had mentioned, Spotify, iTunes, uh, but we'd encourage you to go back and listen to that series. We had some good feedback on the topics that we discussed, and if you are or know someone that may be in the process of deconverting or going through deconversion, we really encourage you to uh, check out that series. But our new series, starting off, is on cancel culture.
1: Yeah, um, we're we're starting a series. I think that we're we're broadly putting under the title or the category of cancel our cancel culture series. Um, to, today we're actually just going to talk about the subject of being a Christian in a cancel culture, um, but but also using cancel culture as a bit of a broader umbrella over the next number of episodes, just to talk about some of the issues related to the cultural shift we're experiencing. Sean, some people use the the, the term in progressive or woke culture, uh, things mm-hmm. along that lines. A lot of subjects fall under. I think that whole umbrella. Uh, whether it's related to critical theory or issues of justice and things like that. So we're going to have a lot of conversations that will fall under this umbrella. But today we do want to just specifically talk about being a Christian in a cancel culture. We want to look at some of the experiential realities that we we are running into today that we describe as, you know, being canceled or being part of uh, or seeing cancel culture at work. So that's what right. we want to dig into today, Sean. Yeah. Right. You know what, Scott,
0: maybe we'll start with, and this is interesting. I, I was at a conference last week and uh, we kind of had a breakout time that we could, we could talk amongst ourselves. And, and for one reason or another, we got on the topic. Uh, so we're podcasting from Ontario, Canada. Uh, I was in Toronto. We're talking about a university in Toronto that had recently changed its name. And the reason for the change in name was that the university's, uh, it wasn't a founder, but the university was named after a fellow that had started the public school system in Ontario, but had also been a part of the residential school system as well. Uh, who was that? Uh, Egerton Ryerson.
1: Uh, uh, Ryerson so,
0: University. Okay, yep. Yeah. Ryerson University. And mm-hmm. so recently, Ryerson University had changed their name to, and I believe it's Metropolitan University university now. The reason being uh, because Ryerson had been part of uh, the residential school system. And sure. so so they thought best to uh, remove that and, and mm-hmm. change the name. And so mm-hmm. as we were yeah. talking in this group, and this was a, a conference, it was a Christian conference. Uh, as we were talking the group, someone had said, you know, I, I've done bad things before. Uh does that mean my name would ever be removed for things or or mm. or better yet, as Christians, what do we do with that? Because we all do bad things, and so is that fair that they should remove his name from the university because maybe there were some things in the past that he shouldn't have done and and really, the question was left open and and no one really knew what the answer to that was as Christians, yeah where do we stand on something like that
1: well i think that's a <laughs> that's a really that's a really relevant and and uh, i guess per, for you personal example of yeah i guess just encountering the realities of a cancel culture where i guess Ryerson, that's a that's a maybe a prime example of of someone from history and we see this you hmm. know it's happening in canada it certainly happened in the states figures from history that were at one point celebrated as whether they're, you know, founding fathers or they they are recognized as, uh, you know, providing a great contribution to our culture in mm-hmm. history. But they also maybe had some association or part to play in some things that now looking back we see as maybe not so noteworthy or right. in some cases uh, downright wrong mm-hmm. behaviors of the past. Certainly as we look back. Yeah. It's a that's a whole discussion in itself, because, of course, it's 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 problematic to judge history from our vantage point now. Um, Hmm. But I think that's a whole other discussion. But I think it just illustrates without saying one way or the other, whether they should have renamed Ryerson University. It's a great illustration of of what we're experiencing in a culture. But I think that what's interesting to me is the I guess the remarks or the conversation you had Hmm. afterwards with these. With these Christian entrepreneurs, yeah, uh, wondering what part they should maybe play in it, or or whether they might themselves be, ex, you know, experience canceling in the future, and whether they should be participants, what what their view should right. be on it as Christians, right? And I think that's a great introduction to what we want to talk about today: is looking at this whole phenomenon of of cancel culture, of of people being canceled, whether it's historical figures like. Your example of Ryerson or whether it's contemporary figures of people, whether whether they're public figures, celebrities or politicians who do something that society now frowns upon as untoward and and they're canceled in one way, shape or form. Or probably the more relevant discussion is for, you know, even for our listeners and certainly for the emerging generation that is so immersed in social media. That that and I, I think this is a this is an ongoing anxiety for many is not wanting to do anything that would kind of trip the cancel response right. from the culture right. uh, for fear of being canceled. And I think there's something to that, which which I think just illustrates why this is a an important discussion for us as Christians. How do we how do we respond to these things? How do we process them? What part should we or, or ought we play? In, in this whole phenomenon of yeah. cancellation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Huge topic, Scott. And and that's why we're doing a series on it, right? Mm-hmm. That yeah. this isn't just a one-off. I think there's, no. there's lots of things we need to talk about and, and work through. Um, yeah. So, and wanna, and, yeah, yeah. And I want
1: to, yeah, I want to be careful that we're not, our, our, our purpose here isn't to try and um, adjudicate the particular instances of cancellation that are happening in our culture to say this should or shouldn't have happened. Um, There may be a place for those discussions, but my interest is, Sean, more in in helping us as Christians look at the phenomenon and and how do we respond? How do we think about these things biblically Mm -hmm. and how do we posture ourselves as believers in a culture that this is just the way it is, right or wrong? This is our culture. Right. And we have to learn how to live in it and to be salt and light in the midst of it. As well as, as Paul said in, in in Colossians two, eight, to be sure that we aren't taken captive ourselves by, as Paul says, the hollow and deceptive philosophies that depend upon the traditions of this world, human traditions, rather than on Christ. And so that's that's always our purpose here, at prepared to answer, is to try and help our listeners to think biblically through a biblical worldview lens. To mm-hmm. look at these kinds of issues and how we respond to them, yeah, right, great, okay. Where where do we start, Scott? Where do well, we start just this You know, I think would be an interesting place to start, Sean, would be just in terms of I, I'm interested. You you gave one example, but mm-hmm. I think just to even get our listeners to think about, uh, you know, generally speaking, when you hear the term cancel culture, what is it that probably jumps most into your mind? So yeah, so so when someone would talk. About
0: cancel culture, immediately I'm thinking celebrity Scott. I'm thinking, you know, like a Harvey Weinstein. I'm yeah. um, thinking like a Dave Chappelle, a Louis C.K. things like that, where like literally they were canceled, mm-hmm. right? That that it, at one point they had something uh, on a show or a business or something, and they were literally canceled. So you know, like a Dave Chappelle had had a show, it was canceled because of something uh, that he said. And so that's what I immediately think of when right. someone says, you know, cancel culture, right?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, I'd have to say the same thing is, is yeah, probably the, the more public instances. Um, although I, I also think of, yeah, I think of the impact that it's having even on maybe not even the, you know, the famous people. There, there's an instance yeah. that comes to my mind, and, and maybe we'll touch on this in a little bit as we talk about it. Um, During the last provincial election here in Ontario. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you remember this or not, Sean, but there was a there in Sault Ste. Marie, the Liberal Party, the provincial Liberal Party um, appointed a candidate in the Mm -hmm. Sault Ste. Marie riding who was actually an 18 year old high school student um, who, who just happened to be a very keen, politically interested young man. Uh, I guess there were, there were no other uh, candidates. And so, you know, he put his name in and he was appointed as the candidate for that riding. Um, now we'll just put aside the, the fact that he was 18. We won't get into discussing that of, right. uh, of the age and, and, uh, maybe uh, capability to hold an office like that. What was interesting yeah. though was that it was, uh, it was on May the 10th. And I remember reading about this. His, his, his appointment was announced at about 10 in the morning. And by three o'clock that afternoon, the Liberal Party announced that it was dropping him as a candidate. And the reason was that someone had surfaced uh, some comments that I believe were, uh, I think they described them as something of a racist nature. Sure. So a a derogatory comment that he'd made in a Minecraft thread (laughs) as he was playing Minecraft with his buddies when he was 13 years old. Right. And and he came and and spoke to that and said, you know, it wasn't me. Someone was using my my uh, my profile. Um, I didn't say those things. I don't believe those things to be true. That's not those aren't the sentiments that I hold. (laughs) But needless to say, eh, nevertheless, he was dropped. He was canceled. Right. And And within within hours. Within hours. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what struck me most is that, you know, as I think about cancel culture, and especially with the emerging generation of young people who have who, now the first generation who have grown up mm. online. Right. Is that the Internet keeps your history forever. And and now here's a young man who, you know, probably had a bright political future. He was maybe he mm-hmm. was just very skilled and gifted and interested in that field. That yeah. door has now been closed to him yeah. because of something he said or didn't say online in a moment in a Minecraft thread when he was 13 years old.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, and so to me, it's more than just kind of the, you know, the celebrities, those are maybe the more popular instances, but to me, that's more of the real life uh, instances that come to mind. When I think about cancel culture and its potential impact. Yeah. So we can see why it'd be so important for
0: politicians to understand cancel culture, right? Like, you can literally, your career can be over within hours uh, of something like that. So, mm. but our question is why would this be important for Christians uh, to think uh, and maybe not even think, but act carefully and biblically about this cancel culture? Because cancel culture isn't only like what we think about it, we can have an opinion about it, but sometimes we can participate in it. Is mm-hmm. that? Is that not right?
1: Yeah, I think I think yeah. it, in general to answer your question, I think there are two there are two aspects that Christians need to think about. And 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 so again, my purpose isn't just to sit here and let's critique cancel culture. Mm-hmm. My interest is as Christians to think through this is the culture we find ourselves in. So so first of all, to what extent are we participating in it? And right. and is do we have latitude or even a responsibility as Christians to participate in the culture? And mm-hmm. also, as Christians, we are increasingly becoming the subjects of or the targets mm-hmm. of cancel culture, especially with respect to, to many of our beliefs and convictions around human identity, human sexuality, and things of that mm-hmm. nature. These are, you know, those are very unpopular views in our culture, right. uh, views that many would like to see canceled and, and maybe Christians canceled for holding them. Mm-hmm. So, so in such a world, how then do we respond so right. it's, to me, it's two sides of the coin. We want to be a salt and light in the world. And so how do we act out, you know, in a cancel culture, as well as being on the receiving end? How do we respond? Uh, how do we prepare ourselves to respond if we right. end up being on the receiving end of cancellation because of our faith? Sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So what is even cancel culture? I mean, we've talked yeah. about it and, and mm-hmm. we've, you know, you've, you've talked about what you think it is. I've talked about what I think it is, but. Maybe we should actually look and see what it actually is.
1: Yeah. So where I always like to start is just to define what we're talking about. First of all, let's just find a a, a kind of a a foundation, a base to start from. And Mm -hmm. so to do that, I actually went to the dictionary. I thought, you know, cancel culture is our dictionary is continually expanding as Mm -hmm. our society comes up with new terms that have new meanings and they find their way into the dictionary. Um, Did you actually take it off your shelf? Like, was this uh, an actual book on your shelf? No, I don't own a dictionary that's relevant (laughs) anymore. The the only relevant dictionaries are really pretty much online anymore because they're constantly changing. So so here are two definitions that I pulled from one, the Cambridge Dictionary, and the other one was Webster's. So Mm -hmm. here's Cambridge Dictionary's definition of cancel culture. A way of behaving in a society or group, especially on social media, Mm -hmm. in which it is common to completely reject and stop supporting someone because they have said or done something that offends you. Right. So now Webster's is is similar, but a little different. The practice or tendency of engaging in mass canceling, in brackets, to withdraw one's support for someone, such as a celebrity or something, such as a company, publicly and especially on social media, as a way of expressing disapproval and exerting Mm -hmm. social pressure. So what what I found interesting in both of those definitions was uh present is the the this whole idea of withdrawing support. And mm-hmm. and in that sense th- that's kind of I guess a a very general definition of this phenomenon of canceling of of canceling people is that whether it's an organization or a person or a celebrity they either do or say or express something that we find repugnant that we find morally untenable or unacceptable. And because of that, we withdraw our support, right? Right. We no longer support that person, whether if it's a celebrity, we don't watch their movies anymore. We don't go to their movies. We don't listen to their music or whatever. Uh, If it's a politician, they lose our vote. You know, if it's a company, we stop shopping there or whatever. But that's kind of a a very general, I guess, high level definition of, of cancellation of what it means to cancel something. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. What
0: I found interesting, too, in those definitions is they both included social media. Yeah. Right. That that it, was actually in the definition.
1: Yeah. And I think that just speaks to how it's a very how it's become a very current issue. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Honestly, when you when you just in the just in the definition itself, to me, that doesn't seem like a really new phenomenon um, the, the idea of withdrawing support, but, but it's the, it's that social media component. I think that brings it into the, into the now of Hmm. how quickly or how prolifically the cancellation of a person or a company or whatever can take place on social media. Yeah. It goes out instantly, right? Mass. Well, and that was the other word
0: that caught me was mass. Like in the Webster's definition was mass canceling, right? So immediate, en mass, which that can only be done by social media. So like you had mentioned, you know, these kind of things have been done for time and eternity, right? Withdrawing support has been a part of human existence. Why is this all of a sudden something that seems like it's different and possibly that could be it?
1: Well, I think and I think the social media component complicates things because it can happen so quickly. Social media tends to it's it's almost instant communication, but it 's very one way right so there's no there's no weighing of the variables mm-hmm. there's no you know let's get all the facts straight it's just kind yeah. of oh, look what came across my Facebook stream, and mm-hmm. instantly we draw a conclusion right and um th- yeah. that, th- we're actually going to touch on that in a in a couple of minutes, Sean, just with respect to what I think as I look at those definitions. They're kind of general definitions. I'm not sure they entirely do justice though to what it is we're experiencing today. I, I think in general, uh it's kind of a good general definition. But but let me ask you, I mean, you, you you saw the social media piece, but do you do you think that is it simply that that withdrawal of support? Um I mean, why is that such a problem? If if someone does something that's wrong, we withdraw support. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's doing justice to what we're really experiencing as a culture?
0: Yeah, and and I don't think it is. I think it's it's even a little more than that. It's almost like this uh how do you put it? It's almost like this canceling not or withdrawing of support on steroids. Like like we are really going to cancel you. Like there is there is no room for like you said discussion. There's no room for forgiveness. There's no room for
1: anything. It's yeah, you are done. And yeah, it's yeah. There, there's there's yeah. something. I, I think the dictionary definition I don't feel captures quite the this, the concern that there should be or that we we ought to have about cancel culture. Uh, actually, here was a, here was an editorial comment that I found um, from the editorial board of the New York Times from March of this year. So March, and, and, yeah. Sorry, Scott. And,
0: and OK, maybe we should just mention that The New York Times is actually on the progressive side of
1: media for those that don't know. Right. That that's what. Well, God means. and 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 I bring that up for that very reason that. Yeah. OK. Something I try really hard to do. We are. I'm going to I'm a. you know, I'm going to lay my cards on the table. I'm probably politically conservative. I'm certainly socially conservative. I'm a Christian, what? right? What? Yeah, I know. I know. It's But <laughs> yeah. I really, try, I really would try hard, though, not to just cherry pick voices from media that will happen to agree with my own perspective. I, I want to be as honest as I can. And so where I can, where I can look to media sources that I don't just necessarily agree with ideologically, um, I try to do that. But this was a comment made by the editorial board of the New York Times uh, on the whole phenomenon of culture uh, cancel culture, and here's what they wrote: For all the tolerance and enlightenment that modern society claims, they say we are losing hold of a fundamental right as citizens of a free country—the right to speak mm. their minds and voice their opinions in public without fear of being shamed or shunned. Mm. And I think that's that's really interesting. Uh, coming from the New York Times, recognizing that that something fundamental has shifted in our right. culture to make cancel culture something of, of great concern, where we're, we're we're losing something that is just basic to our freedoms as a society. Um, mm-hmm. That that's a concern to people around us, and that's why again I think that's why this is an important subject to to jump into. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, and, and that's. Uh, interesting in that quote uh, that stood out for me was the fear part of it, yeah. right? And so in the past, when there was opposition, like you said, to a political party or or something that you didn't like a celebrity and and all that type of stuff, there wasn't that fear component, I don't think, in the past. You can disagree with me, but it won't eliminate me like it almost seems to be now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And there are yeah. numerous other studies. Um uh, i' been doing some research for for the subject we 're talking about um, There are a number of recent studies that have come out regarding uh what 's happening in an ac- happening in academia mm. and yeah. the number of professors who are on uh, when they 're being surveyed they are they 're admitting that they are self censuring themselves they 're censoring themselves consciously. Uh, not exercising academic freedom for fear of being censured because Mm -hmm. they hold, uh, you know, ideas that are not in line with the, I guess, the the predominant thought in academia, Um, most of which is ideologically left leaning. So most of these are are academics who would lean ideologically more on a conservative uh, um, uh, slant Um, and they are self-censoring that's out of fear. And it's out of fear. It's out of fear yeah. of being censured, losing yeah. tenure, losing their jobs, being picketed by student groups or whatever on campus. So yeah. you're right. There's yeah. that big fear component. Right. Yeah. So, Scott, when we look at those
0: definitions and we talk about that notion of cancel culture, but also that, you know, in the past, we would see that as opposing things. So either boycotting, uh, not supporting a political party. I want to start thinking or I start thinking that Christians have contributed to this. And and that's mm. not even like centuries ago, right? Like we can look at some examples, uh, even back to 1997, the Southern Baptist Convention boycotting Disney mm-hmm. for being too gay friendly.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. You
0: know, and there was Jerry Falwell. He was boycotting the Teletubbies because they appeared <laughs>
1: to be have two. Because one of their characters, he, he felt had um, what he called... Yeah. Gay qualities. Right. I'm not sure what that meant. But anyway, that was what he. Right.
0: right. For sure. And then even in 2012, the one million mom march. No, it wasn't mm-hmm.
1: a march. <laughs> uh, well, that would have been scared. One
0: yeah. million moms. Yeah. was the yeah. name of the group. Yeah. Yeah. So even back in 2012, uh, the one million moms boycotting J.C. Penny for having Ellen DeGeneres as their spokesperson. Mm-hmm. Scott, this appears like cancel culture. And Christians are fully behind it. Well, so should
1: um, we be? Should uh, we be doing that? Well, um, I, th- I think if we're being honest, then go by the definition. Those are, yeah, those are examples of of canceling, right. uh, a boycott, in companies or um, individuals or whatever. Sure. Um, yeah, you know. <sighs> The the debate, should Christians be involved in boycotts like that, which which is a form of canceling? Um, I think we need to probably think about that by by maybe maybe making a couple of distinctions. Okay. Um, I think to answer that question, I think we need to to define more more further define what the essence of cancel culture is. It's one thing, I think, to say that you are withdrawing support or withholding support from something as a value-based decision. And right. here's an example, Sean, okay. I do not support the lottery industry. I right. don't buy lottery tickets. Yes. And and that's not a moral judgment against those who do. That is a, that's a, a, a moral decision or a conviction that I have that to do so for me w- would not be, um, I don't think that would be an appropriate stewardship of the money God's given me to buy tickets of chance in order to try it, you know, to try and get really wealthy really quickly. So, so that's a value-based decision. I withdraw my support or I, I don't give my support to the lottery industry. I don't buy their product. Right. It's another thing though, to, 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 I guess, attempt to force mm-hmm. a person or an organization or a company to, right. to change their behavior in order to more align with my beliefs by using boycotting as some kind of a i guess it's an it's really an economic bargaining chip it's it's really uh, it's, it's it's coercion of a form because you're you're basically saying listen either you change your behavior or we will make that we will make it economically harmful or not beneficial for you right um it's, the, it's that second aspect. It's that, it's that force component that I feel like as Christians we should give us pause yeah. to yeah. consider taking part in. Right. Um, right. I, I'm not saying it's never appropriate, but, but actually interesting. So I went back to Webster's Dictionary to, to look up boycott, which I think we can clearly say is a form of canceling. I think if I went to the, the Webster's Dictionary on my shelf here and blew the dust off, it probably would have a definition for boycott. There isn't yeah. a word about social media in any dictionary I own on my shelf. But right. here is their definition of boycott. To engage in a concerted refusal to have dealings with a person, store, organization, etc., usually to express disapproval or to force acceptance of certain conditions. So I don't want to say that it's I don't want to say that it's never appropriate. To to kind of use that kind of, I guess, mass, what if you want to call it mm-hmm. protest or mass expression of disapproval or or whatever. I'm not saying it's not ever appropriate, but I but I think we need to consider that what essentially we are doing is we're using a form of nonviolent coercion mm-hmm. in order to bring about a change in behavior. Right. And I I guess I I guess I pause for a second. I think what is the fundamental difference between nonviolent, nonviolent persuasion Mm -hmm. and violent persuasion? (laughs) Physical. That's it. Yeah. I mean, uh, the obvious is that they're, they're, you know, obviously not using physical violence. Right. But but they're both still an exercise of power. Yeah. In order to force opponents into compliance.
0: Yeah.
1: Here's and, a question. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Go no, go ahead.
0: When we look at scripture, did Christ ever boycott? <laughs> <laughs> was, was he leading
1: the charge? Yeah. Um, I haven't, I didn't see any instances of him boycotting. Um, there was a really great article that I, that I came across in, uh, on the Gospel Coalition written by Joe Carter. Uh, actually on the the issues of boycotting. But uh, he, this was, that was exactly one of the points he touched on was, you know, was nonviolent resistance uh, one of mm-hmm. the tools or techniques, was that the way of Jesus? Right. And what he pointed out was actually, no, it was Jesus' way was not nonviolent resistance. Jesus' way was non-resistance. Mm. Um, and I think about... I think about what Christ said in Matthew five, right? Like, so here's Jesus, Sean. You've heard that was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Hmm. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Give to yeah. the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. The 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 thing that jumps out at me is Jesus' words: "Do not resist an evil person." Yeah, right, that that just seems to go against the grain of of kind of everything we hold dear in the West. Oh yeah, of of standing up for and fighting for our rights. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, and and I, I mean I don't want to get into a a critique of, of rights and what, you know, should, is that not, is that uh, not right that we should think that way? I just think as Christians, we need to realize we dance to a different drum, Mm -hmm. right? That, that the gospel is not the reclamation of classic liberal democracy (laughs) in the West, which we, we do see under attack and crumbling, And is that problematic? I think on a number of levels it is, but, but that was never my worldview to begin with. No. Did it have some real benefits? Does it have some real benefits? Yeah. And I think I could argue it does, and I could get behind some of it, but, but that's not my worldview. It doesn't come from my worldview. And then I look to the one I follow and he says, do not resist an evil person. You know, and I've, I've, I've had these kinds of conversations with Christians in the past and the response is kind of like what so are we supposed to let people walk all Go over was. us right <laughs> and you know my mm. you know your the I guess the instinctive response is well no, no. we're not right. supposed to be doormats but then i think about yeah, ask that question imagine asking yourself <laughs> that question Imagine asking that question to Jesus, Jesus. as yeah. he's hanging on the cross. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, right? are, we sp- what, are we supposed to just let people walk all over us? <laughs> right. As right. Jesus hangs there, having surrendered himself to, to evil right. men. Well, in fact, one of his disciples
0: left him because they didn't feel he was resisting, he wasn't going to be bringing the kingdom. Yeah. The way that we thought it should be, which is yeah. through resistance.
1: Yeah. And now so. now I know that the immediate response from someone's going to be, well, so are you saying that we should never resist evil then? And I, I don't think that's what I'm saying at all. Uh, I, I'm saying I think we need to be careful of recognizing that things like boycotts, which is, a, which is a form of canceling, I think we have to see it for what it is. It's a nonviolent, this is nonviolent, but it is an exertion of power to coerce. And I think as Christians that ought to give us pause. We ought to be, I yeah. think to an, to a certain degree, that does not sound like something we we ought to embrace. Right. It certainly doesn't sound like the spirit of Christ when he says, don't resist an evil person. I don't think that means then let's just let evil have its way and not say anything, because no. I think there are lots of texts we can go to then sure. that do point out the, the, the obligation we have to stand up for, And protect the rights of the vulnerable. Yes. Right? Yes. But that's a whole different discussion.
0: Right. Right. So we've walked down the path of uh, boycott. Uh, We've talked about boycotts, uh, which is related to cancel culture. Uh, But maybe we can steer it back to uh, cancel culture. And and so my question would be, what what should be our concern as Christians when it comes to cancel culture?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I (sighs) think— I think back to back to the start of our conversation, we, we started with a very general definition. And and in those definitions, I think we recognize there is something missing of the of the concerning nature that cancel culture has you know, evoked the concern it's evoked in our culture today. Mm-hmm. Even, you know, uh, uh, among people on all sides of the ideological sp- spectrum. Right. Yeah. Yeah. From the New York Times to the Washington Post to everything in between, yeah, uh, those are American papers. So to, from the CBC <laughs> see, yeah. to the National Post, Post and everything research. in between, how's that yes. for a Canadian context? Okay, <laughs> yeah. I think what it's missing though is there's a there's a flavor that our cancel culture has taken on that that is very concerning, and I, I, there are probably four qualities that I see predominant that uh, that have become very prevalent. In in our contemporary expressions of cancel culture, and the first is just how rash it seems to be, and I think this goes back to the social media component. So uh, here's here's an example, Sean, from personally that experience, and it was a couple of years ago, but still uh, uh, on Facebook, a um, you know a, a meme, I guess, or a, an image with a quote showed up on my Facebook feed, and it was Hillary Clinton. Now, I'll. I'll put it right out there. She, I'm no fan of Hillary Clinton's or her politics or her ideas. That's, she's not my cup of tea. But, but the picture was Hillary Clinton and it was a quote. And here was the quote. The quote was, I believe that she said, I believe the primary role of the state mm-hmm. is to teach, train and raise children. Parents have a secondary role. Hillary Clinton, it takes a village. And that's the name of her book. And, of course, I looked at that and there were like a million comments and it was, oh, uh, you know, this date and how dare she's a communist and all the rest. Right. Right. Again, I'm, I'm no fan. But I looked at that and I thought, right. wait a second. That seems like the kind of thing that if someone actually said it, I had heard about it by now. Right. <laughs> So so I don't know why. Maybe the Lord was just leading me to be a little more inquisitive than I normally am. I normally I just ignore those things. Yes. So I got a copy of her book. You did? You have a copy I just, of Hillary Clinton. I Prince. bought a copy of It Takes a Village. You don't have a on book. my Kindle. You don't on oh, my Kindle. Okay.
0: I was gonna say you got you don't have a dictionary on your shelf, but you got Hillary No, Clinton.
1: but I have a copy of her book. Yeah. I, I got a copy of her book so I could do a search. Right. I wanted to search for the quote. I couldn't believe it yeah. that she would have said such an audacious thing. Yeah. She didn't. So then I went did a little more searching. Well, maybe it was the wrong source. So I looked on the internet, never said it. She, she never uttered those words. And sure enough, there were a couple of, uh, you know, Snopes.com and some of those, uh, you know, urban legend debunking websites that had this listed. It was as old as the hills in terms of it's an urban legend that she ever said this but it was recirculated for good measure and and th- th- this just speaks to the rashness right yes um, yeah. a meme comes up by a person you don't like mm-hmm. it fits the narrative that you believe they're an evil person anyway yep and so we just rashly yeah accept condemn it. them for it yeah accept it yeah of course they said it because they're terrible right and we we just condemn them and cancel them yeah
0: and and it's, um, so there's a sorry and it's interesting scott too that this was on social media Right. That, that what you were experiencing was on social media where it was easy to make those comments. All you got to do is type it in. Yeah. Right. It's not going to the town square and standing on a box and saying, it's easy. I can just sit in my, yeah. my, uh, right room and do that.
1: Yeah. It's easy to make those comments. And, and to my next point would be regarding the nature of the comments. And the next characteristic I've noticed of cancel culture contemporary cancel culture is that it's nasty. Okay. And I think this is where Christians really need to check themselves because I have, I'll, I, I will not ever suggest that I'm innocent of anything. Right. Of all these things. Right. I, I think I have made the same mistakes. I've been rash and probably, and said things online. I, in the heat of the moment, I shouldn't have said, yeah. we have to watch ourselves though. Yeah. As Christians, there's, there's a nastiness to cancel culture that that almost it's justified maybe because we've already, you know, uh, caricatured certain people as evil people. Right. Um, not to pick on Hillary Clinton again. This is the Hillary but, but Clinton just, show. Right. Well, I, I defended her in the one and I'm just going to point out her her participation of cancel culture in, in another. Sure. This is a quote from her 2016 campaign uh she was speaking to a it was a it was a a rally that she was speaking at and now she made some comments about uh Donald Trump's supporters and this is a, an infamous comment she made you know she said you know just to be grossly generalistic you could put half of Trump's supporters now after the election you realize that was half the voting population of the United States into what i call the basket of deplorables right the racist, the sexist, the homophobic, xenophobic, islamophobic you name it. And unfortunately, there are people like that. Right? It's just, there's a nastiness to it of of name calling. Yeah. And, and people, and suddenly it justifies turning people into these two-dimensional caricatures yeah. of the most evil and vile things we can think of. And not to, again, not to be, uh, uh, so I'm being equitable in terms of my, ideological cherry picking right you yes. could go to the other side of the spectrum and there's lots of nasty stump stuff that Trump said sure <laughs> I'm not exonerating anybody yes uh, his quote was here's a quote from his uh, one of his uh, rally speeches in October 2nd 2016 it's a much shorter quote yes, yes. <laughs> referring to, to referring to Hillary uh, referring to Hillary Clinton yes she's the devil <laughs> 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 That's nasty. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's just personal attack, right? right? But it's nasty. It's it's just uh, there's a nastiness to it, and somehow it's justified. Um, It's accepted. It's yeah. It's
0: almost commonplace. It's almost like it's accepted now,
1: right? Yeah. Well, because we create these these caricatures of people, and and maybe that speaks to another aspect of our culture, of, of the moral framework of our culture, mm-hmm. moving away from individualism to collectivism, where, where group shaming becomes part of the fabric of our society. It's, just become, it's become acceptable to lump people into tribes, and the tribe itself is distasteful or reprehensible, and therefore those who belong to the tribe like we can consider likewise we no longer look yep. at each other as individuals mm-hmm. um there's a judgmentalness that's packed in there right it's very judgmental and you know here's a here's a quote from 2000 and 21 September 2021. And this is, uh, this is our own prime minister here in Canada. So we moved north uh, of the
0: border now, Scott.
1: We knew north, yes, just Scott. so we're not just cherry-picking American politics. Yes. Um, but here is our prime minister speaking on a talk show. It's a French daytime talk show called La Semaine des, des 4 or Quatre. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's speaking to the host about people, Canadians, who've refused the COVID vaccine. And now my my most recent check of the stats in Canada, Sean, is that uh, Canada has one of the highest vaccination rates of any country. Uh, right now, though, th- those remaining unvaccinated are somewhere north of 2 million people. Yeah. Now, I realize many of them would be children who maybe couldn't have received the vaccination, et cetera. But many of those are people who out of conscience, you know, chose not to be vaccinated right. for one reason or another. Yeah. But here's what our prime minister has to say about them, that these people, they don't believe in science or progress, and they're very often misogynistic and racist. It's a very small group of people, but that doesn't shy away from the fact that they take up some space. This leads us as a leader and as a country to make a choice. Do we tolerate these people? Yeah. And he kind of lets that hang there as a rhetorical question. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I you know I I always want to speak respectfully of our elected leaders because I agree with what scripture tells us that that God puts governments in place and God gives us as Christians a mandate to submit to our governing authorities to the extent that they lead us so long as they're not leading us into sin we are to submit to their authority and that's fine. Yeah. But it's it's discouraging or to me it's maybe representative of the overall impact or influence of cancel culture, even and perhaps most especially upon our our elected officials. Right. Who are imbibing this, this spirit of this judgmentalism. I mean, uh, uh, you could even dis- disagree very strongly with people, you know, as a leader, with the people who have resisted what the government has deemed to be the best approach to dealing with a, uh, uh, an unprecedented pandemic i don't I don't want to argue with any of their reasoning or anything like that uh people have their reasons you can disagree strongly with them and 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 I think even vocalize your disagreement with their reasoning but it's the it's it's then making the attack personal right that's that's you're you're now judging the person right right um yeah. and but that seems to be you know so when you look at that as as evidenced among those elected to represent us, it's not a surprise then that it's, it's both a reflection on the, where our culture is at, as well as I think, uh, just an example to the rest of us (laughs) of what's now allowed. Uh, so it's judgmental, it's rash, it's nasty, it's judgmental. And the last thing I would say, which I think is, is very noteworthy is that it's unforgiving. And and um, it's interesting. Uh, Douglas Murray wrote a book, um, the, "The The Maddening of the Crowd," and he commented on this phenomena of public cancellation. And he raised an he raised a really interesting point. He's not a Christian writer at all. He's kind of a social commentator. Uh, an, an analyzer, but he said, you know, one of the difficulties of our Internet age and our social media age is we do not. Well, we have an instrument, a, a ready and rapid instrument for canceling people, punishing them. We don't have any instruments for forgiveness. Wow. Yeah. And, um, you know what, I would just go back to my example of uh, uh, actually his name was Aiden K. Calo- K. Calo- who was the 18 year old for St. Marie. Yeah. Who, you know, I think he represents a generation who have put themselves out there online yeah. and probably everybody has said something online untoward or something they shouldn't have said that could be dredged up, you know, if someone really wanted to find some dirt yeah. and, and presented. And in the court of public opinion, you could you could really damage a person for sure. Um, it's like your past comes back to haunt you. And, and that's it. You, you get labeled, you get judged Mm -hmm. by the the court of social opinion. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: And there's no room for, you know, people can change, Mm
0: -hmm. people
1: can grow, people can make mistakes. Yeah. Um, And, and, and so that, I think that ought to inform us as Christians in a number of ways, but certainly in terms of our own participation in it. Yeah. But I think as Christians to maybe see there's an opportunity for us to present a counterculture um, to the world, right? We rash, nasty, judgmental and unforgiving is the antithesis <laughs> to the gospel of Jesus. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, and Scott, I think this is a
0: great place to end this episode. Our first episode in the cancel culture series Uh, where we've looked at what cancel culture is. We've tried to define it. Uh, We've even talked about it in history through boycotts. And now what it's appearing like. And like you said, uh, this should give Christians a good opportunity to be countercultural. And so can I suggest, Scott, that our next episode is we start to look at maybe how we respond to this?
1: Yeah. I think that's what we want to do next time is spend a little more time. We've kind of looked at it. We've analyzed it. We've hopefully highlighted some of the, some of the pitfalls and the risks and the dangers that we need to be aware of and avoid. Next time we're going to talk about as Christians, how do we respond? Yeah. Well, what, what is our response and our posture? How do we, how do we equip and prepare ourselves to respond? Yeah. Uh, looking into the, the the counsel and the tr- and the the truth of God's word. Okay. so that's what we'll spend our time next time talking about. Sounds
0: good. Well, I want to thank mm-hmm. our listeners for joining us. Uh, Online, Uh, if you're Mm -hmm. joining us by video, hopefully uh, this was an enjoyable experience for you.
1: (laughs) If not, you can go. Please put in the comments, this was enjoyable. (laughs) Please do that or we're going to cry.
0: If you did enjoy it, you can go back on to uh, Spotify or iTunes or onto our website. Uh, If you're looking for any of our resources, or ways to contact us, we'd encourage you to uh, join us at preparedtoanswer.org. For those that are listening actually to us in real time uh, to this release, we have actually launched a new website, Scott, that we are excited about. And we are hoping that it will enable you to find the resources that you are looking for uh, quickly and easily. And uh, we'd love to hear your feedback on that as well. Yeah. We'd love for you
1: to come and visit us at our website Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. And as always, uh, we want to thank you and God bless.